Well, like I said, if you got your Bible, Psalm chapter 80, and if you're quick, Acts chapter 1, well, I like to look at a lot of Bible verses when we gather together. I encourage you to bring your Bible. Uh, I like the hardback. Uh, some people prefer the phone but, or uh, the computer, but I like the hardback. Hey, we want to celebrate something. We had a group of about five guys go to Mexico this week and dig some water wells in some poor villages. Any of those guys here today? I know they got back late yesterday sometimes. We'd like to recognize you. Stand, well, stand up if you're here. All right, give them, a, give them a big hand here. Give them a big hand. So I think it was five of them, five of them that went and they dug five water wells. That was a record. Now think about that. You, you and I just take fresh water for granted, but people die, they're sick all over the world, and we go frequently to Mexico, and that's the highest number we've ever drilled on a trip. So, so because of you, they pay their own way to go, but uh, you and I give, when we give, part of our money goes in the missions fund, and uh, we all celebrate together as we dig those water wells for poor people. So praise the Lord, that's a good thing in the eyes of the Lord, I think. What do you say, give the Lord a good, a good hand there. Psalm chapter 80. Psalm chapter 80 is where we're going to begin. Uh, in, in, in Psalm 80, Israel is in a kind of a tough spot. They have rebelled against God, and they're bearing the consequences of that. And the whole petition or cry of Psalm 80 is, Lord, would you restore us? Get us back to the good place. Uh, why don't you read this with me? Verse 18 says, revive us so we can call on your name once more. And how many know Christians need reviving? Followers of Christ need reviving. Sometimes our hearts get cold. Sometimes our worship becomes a routine. Uh, sometimes we slip into sin. We stop serving the Lord. We stop giving. We, we just Something happens in our spiritual life, and it just kind of makes us do this. In a perfect world, a Christian gets saved, and <laughs> theirs is just a growth towards maturity for the rest of their life. But in the world you and I live in, how many know it's got some of this in it? Come on, and every honest person in this room will say, I've had some of these times. Hopefully, the progression is upwards, but we still have those down times where we need to be revived, refreshed, where God, not just an emotional feeling, but it's like getting back on the right track, getting the right priorities, living the way that God would, would, would be pleased. Well, this is what we're talking about. I've called this little mini-series a foretaste of what's to come. And it's about revival. Last two weeks, remember, we've been talking about revival among Christians here in America and around the world. And how many know there's a difference between a revival and a spiritual awakening? A revival is what happens to Christians. It's like we get, we get back where we need to be with God, and God renews us, restores us, and we get back about you know, the business of, 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 of what he's called us to do. Uh, the world needs a spiritual awakening. And because how many know it shouldn't just stay in the church house when Christians are on fire for God, when we're living right, it just spills out. It comes out of our mouth. It comes out of our lifestyle, and we influence other people. Because how many know if a drug dealer gets saved, they're going to quit selling drugs? If somebody walking around with a gun and been on violence and committed, you know, many acts of violence, they get saved, they will put down that gun. I am telling you, friend, the solution in America is not taking the guns of the people away. The solution is a spiritual revival that would stop the violence and curtail because Jesus said, 
Jesus said, murder is in the heart of man, the wicked heart of man. So this is what we've been talking about. Let me show you a little quick video. We've been, uh, CBN has been following this revival. Just a little kind of update here, and then we're going to get into today's message. Well, the revival that began at Asbury University in Kentucky is spreading to other campuses across the nation, including Purdue and West Lafayette, Indiana. At a recent meeting there, 300 students at Purdue took part in the Collegiate Day of Prayer simulcast that was happening at Asbury. On Twitter, Dr. Malachi O'Brien posted that the students brought in a pool for what they thought would be three baptisms. Okay, at least 21 were bab baptized that day. So, Nick... Are we going to see another Asbury, or do you think we're just going to continue to see more pockets of revival breaking out here and there on different universities? I think it's happening all over the country. I, I think it's it's not limited to just universities either. I, I had friends uh, open up their living room and invite uh, friends over, neighbors over, and just say, man, we believe God is offering healing and that there's change that can happen. And literally these women filled this living room repenting, crying out to God. I'm here at our offices in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, a week ago, we emptied all the desks. We emptied the parking garage. Mm. And, uh, and we had a service that was supposed to go two hours. It went 53 hours. We had hundreds of people uh, come to Jesus, people baptized in the basement. And so I really believe what's happening is breaking out around the world. Well, Lord, let it be. Uh, how would you like to be in a 53-hour church service? I think we'd lose every nursery worker that's ever worked here. Uh, <laughs> and I think we'd have to have Chicken Express and Chick-fil-A and Chick, 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 you know, doing several deliveries. But uh, people are hungry. And how many know it's not just like God chasing you down, wherever you, whatever you're doing. How many know God wants to visit his people, but we've got to be making steps towards God. I, I was very encouraged when he said people are just opening their living rooms and inviting family and friends and saying, God is doing something. We'd like to pray together. See, any of us can do that because revival should spill out into the world. Now, we've been talking about these revival outbreaks. Um, we've also talked about the history of revival in America. There have been 10 to 12 documented revivals, some of which saw a million or more people coming to Christ and having life change about them. But the real heart of these last couple messages is this. Why are believers seeking the Lord in a greater way? Now, a month ago, we just turned a Tuesday night worship service, I mean worship service, a worship practice, opened it, advertised it two days and said, we're just going to worship the Lord. And 350 people showed up. Now, why is that? Why is this happening? And that's what I want to explore with you. Remember, we, one week we talked about, and the, obviously uh, perhaps the most important, is we're expressing our gratitude and love for Jesus through worship. And that's a lot of what you saw on the screen. Secondly, repentance from sin. I mean, no revival, if you're off track, should help you get on track. Uh, that's number two. Number three is salvation for the lost. Now, lost is a Christian term. But basically what it means is to not be following Christ, to not know Christ, to be away from God. 
And Jesus, through his cross and forgiveness of sins, is the way that we get our sins forgiven and restored to God. So the lost become found, the unsaved become saved, and we become born again as a follower of Christ. And there's a greater concern that what I've experienced, I want to give away. So that's where we've been. Now, today we're going to focus, focus on the fourth reason that Christians are seeking the Lord in a greater way. And this is impactful because I promise you, it affects everyone in this room. It's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Revival prepares you for the second coming. Now, how many know every Christmas we celebrate who? Yeah, baby Jesus. The first time he came, born of the Virgin Mary. But do we ever have celebrations of the second coming? No, because it hadn't happened yet. Do we think about it very often? I would say probably not. But the Bible is filled with this idea that Jesus Christ uh, is, uh, 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 is coming back again to the earth. Now, after the resurrection, Acts chapter 1, verse 9, this is called the ascension. So Jesus was crucified on a cross in the tomb for three days, came back alive, spent several weeks with his followers, and now he's about to be ascended to heaven. Listen to Acts 1 verse 9. Jesus was taken up in a, in a cloud. So kind of get the picture. They could no longer see him. And then two angels, they appeared to be white-robed men standing among them, and they said, Jesus has been taken away from you uh, into heaven, but someday he will return. return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. In other words, he is coming with the clouds. Now, even Siri knows this. I asked her, I said, Siri, give me a picture of Jesus coming in the clouds. She, and I don't know how accurate that is, but that's what Siri gave me. Now, she forgot that there's going to be believers with him when he comes. Come on now. Those that have died in Christ will look at that. But this is a foundational aspect because I got news for you, friends. One day, life as we know it will be over. One day, you won't be getting up and going to work on Monday, and it's not because you're retired or sick. One day, life on this earth will be over. I do think turkey hunting will continue in heaven. I am not sure... <laughs> But I know the rest of life as we know it, going to the grocery store and, you know, all the things we do, cleaning house, cleaning toilets, that will all be over. Aren't you glad we're not going to have to clean toilets again? Well, anyway, I'm being a little facetious here, but let's answer this question first. Where is Jesus now? Jesus told us in Mark 14, he's standing before the Jewish officials before they crucify him. And Jesus told them, you'll see me, the son of man. Son of man is one of the terms to describe him. Seated in the place of power at God's right hand. In other words, at this very moment today, Jesus is at the right hand of God, the father. And the bottom of the verse says he's making intercession for us. He's praying for us. He knows about us. You're not praying to an empty heaven, an empty space or the ceiling. You're praying to the living God. Jesus hears us. He's standing there. But listen, he added to them, you're going to see me coming on the clouds of heaven. And when Jesus come back, I am happy to tell you, we, have, we will have a new world order. And it is different than the world order that politicians are talking about today. 
Since President Bush, the first President Bush, I have heard politicians talk about a new world order. What they are preparing for is the Antichrist. They're preparing for a man-centered government uh, where you can't buy or sell unless you have the mark, the mark of the beast. COVID, though a serious disease, was a preparation to see if the world could be controlled. It was a great learning lesson, but that's where the world is headed. But how many know at the same time, God says, you ain't got nothing on me. So, now, let me give a kind of a disclaimer here. There's different interpretations about when and how Jesus will come. There's different interpretations about uh, uh, the unfolding of end-time events. So I'm not going to try to give you a timeline. I know many of you are smarter than me and could give us a timeline. Who could give us a timeline there, end-time events? Anybody smart enough to? Okay, well, I'm not either, but... All I know is this, he's coming back again and I want to be ready. All I know is the book of Revelation is going to unfold. And if I go through persecution and difficulty, I want to go through it victorious and come out on the other side strong. I don't want to ever deny my Lord. I don't want to ever take the mark of the beast if Christians go through that. But some people will be here. All I know, friends, is today I want to try to imprint something on you. That is as serious as a tornado warning. 23 people were killed in a small Mississippi town, I think it was on Friday, when the tornadoes swept across America. Uh, You know, it's almost like we don't take tornadoes too serious anymore. Our weather is warning us days ahead. We're looking at it. But when the siren comes on, you better get ready. The last time the siren came on, my wife was not with me. And uh, she was gone out of town, so I went in the bathroom. I got my dog. The cats don't get along, so they, they were fighting on their own. But I got my turkey gun. I got a little extra money. I got some water to drink, and I was ready. Shouldn't we be ready for the second coming of Christ? Well, this is what we want to talk about today. And, and, and I kind of want to uh, answer this question. Why does the second coming of Jesus Christ matter? Why does it matter? And I'm going to give you three significant reasons. The first is the rapture and resurrection of believers. Now, I'm talking about future events that everyone will experience. And they're not necessarily, as I talk about them, they're not necessarily sequential, but they are events that the Bible predicts about the future that it behooves us to be ready for and teach our children about. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul is writing to Christians who are a little troubled about what happens after we die. And here's what he said. We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. And he went on to say, so you don't grieve as others who have no hope. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died, now this is the key to being a Christian, believing that Jesus died and was raised to life again. And let me tell you this, friends, up front, you can't work your way into heaven. Coming to church today will not get you into heaven. Paying money or giving money will not get you into heaven. You cannot do enough good things. How many know the only way sin can be forgiven is when we look to the cross of Christ in humility, that we bow our hearts, that we turn away from our sin, turn towards God, and ask for his forgiveness and follow him. Well, that's what the Thessalonians had done. And uh, he said, uh, we believe that Jesus was died and raised to life. We also believe so that when Jesus 
returns, second coming, God, now listen to this, will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now, what in the world does this mean? The Bible teaches that we are three part. We are body, soul, and spirit. Our body is, it's very clear about our body. You know, we know when we think of people, we think about them. When I look at Steve, he has a beard. I think about his hair. He's got more than I do, you know. Um, but, but we think about the physical appearance. But the Bible teaches we are a spirit being. I can't really tell you what that is. We have a soul. I understand our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. They are distinct. The Bible mentions these three, body, soul, and spirit. But when we die, how many know when that body's laying there, that's not the real them. The real them, their spirit, if they're a Christian, has gone to be with the Lord. You see, their spirit is with the Lord, but their body is still in earth, buried in the earth or cremated or whatever the case is. So bodies are in heaven. The Bible says to be absent from the Lord is to be, I mean, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the Christian goes to be in the presence of God when they die and they are coming back. Look at verse 15. Now we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a trumpet call. We're still here. <laughs> I hope we're not all backslidden. <laughs> no, that was recorded. But one day there will be a trumpet sound. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be watching some X-rated movie or sleeping with somebody else's spouse at that time. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't want to be stoned out of my mind at that time. I want to be living for Jesus. I don't want to be carrying out an act of violence. I don't want to be signing a business deal that I've had to lie to get. Come on now. I want to be ready when he comes back. First, he says, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. What is that? That's the bodily resurrection where their spirits and their bodies will join once again. Uh, then together with them, we who are still alive will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we'll be with the Lord forever. How, how many would like to fly like a bird? You've actually thought about it a little bit. I mean, just kind of watch that bird gliding along. You know, that's one thing I love about being in the turkey woods. It's a lot of time to look around. And if the wind is blowing, uh, these hawks will get in the air or vultures or perhaps even an eagle. And they'll just catch the wind draft and they'll just kind of hover there. And then they'll make a slight turn. One day you're going to fly. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, didn't Jesus kind of fly from place to place? Wasn't he on the road talking to two disciples and all of a sudden he disappeared? Didn't he just appear where the disciples were gathered having a meal? Jesus said, touch my body. Thomas put his hand, come on now, in the nail print, put his hand where the spear stabbed him in the side. Jesus ate. He had a resurrection body, but then he disappeared. Well, that's the world that's coming ahead for us, and it's not science fiction. So when I ask why does the second coming matter, let me ask this question. Do you want to be raptured, or do you want to be left behind? <laughs> Every person in their right mind would want to be raptured. And listen, that's why this second coming matters, is to help us be ready. Now, let me give you a second reason, and we're going to jump ahead 
to the point at which heaven and hell are populated. It's called eternal judgment. And here's the question, and I hope you ask yourself this question. Am I going to heaven or hell? And let me say this. The Bible teaches very clearly that good, you don't go to heaven because you're good. You can't do enough good things to go to heaven. The Bible says you're saved by grace through faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus as the forgiver and savior of the world. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not by your works. But it happens when, again, we are born in sin. Our lives are lived going our own way. And this magic word, repentance, where we turn to God, believing in Christ, and follow him. That's what brings the new birth. Um, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is Matthew 25, he will sit upon his glorious throne. Now, there's another picture of this in Revelation chapter 20 called the Great White Throne Judgment. Verse 32, all nations will be gathered in his presence. That doesn't mean Brazil and Mexico and the United States. It means the billions of people that have lived on this earth. It means every person that's ever lived or been conceived will be uh, before the Lord. He goes on to say, though, he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, when I was a boy, I was raised on a farm, and we had, uh, we had cows. And once or twice a year, we would, what we call, worked on the cows. We'd give them shots. We'd do other things to the, to the little, little bulls. Uh, they'd become steers and, you know, that kind of thing. But, but what, what would happen is... Uh, the cows would be out in the pasture, you know, hundreds of acre of pasture. And uh, you may not believe this, but I used to could run like a rabbit when I was a kid. We didn't have a horse or a dog. They'd just send John out to get the cows. And uh, granddaddy would be uh, at the barn and he would be calling them. And I'd just be out running after them, making them go and throwing rocks and having a little stick and making them get in the barn. Well, once they got in the cow lot, then we had to separate them. Because we treated the mama cows different than the calves. So as they're coming in this smaller lot, somebody else is there trying to head the cows one way, and we end up with the calves on the other side. Well, that's going to happen one day. Jesus is going to separate the world just like that. Notice what he says. The king will say on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the creation of the world, which simply means Jesus and the cross was not an afterthought with God. When God created us, he wanted to create us with free will so we could choose so we're not a robot. You don't have to be, you know, if, if we were robots and didn't have free will, what kind of love would we have for the Lord? Whereas now, having free will, I've been born into a world of sin, I've tasted sin, I've gone my own way, but I've found it to be empty, and I have turned, and I willingly follow Jesus Christ. I love him, I sacrifice for him, I live my life for him. So, so, so that's the, the separation. But this kingdom from the world was even created. Verse 41 is not a place you want to be. The king will turn to those on his left and say, away from me, you cursed ones, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You say, I don't believe in hell. That doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what, you, what we believe. How I many you know God is the one that's God and we're not? 
And like it or not, the Bible teaches there's a real place called hell, but I want you to know God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Second Timothy says it. It's in, actually, I have my notes that are printed out. You can look at them on the app as we go along or go back and rehearse them, but it's in the supplemental material. And uh, there's a scripture in Timothy says that, um, uh, says that God doesn't want anyone to go to hell, but all men to be saved. But here's what we know. Narrow is the path that leads to life and few find it. Wide is the path that leads to destruction and many find it, which means many people reject Christ. And don't bring up the argument about the pygmy in Africa that's never heard. You've heard. I can offer you explanations in what's called natural theology about the people who have not heard. But the problem, friend, is we have heard. Come on now. And we're responsible for telling other people to help them make their step to Christ. But uh, uh, that's a big, big reason is eternal judgment. How many know if those people in Mississippi in that poor town... Now, listen, the weather department did as much as they could, but if they would have known of a certainty, because how many know sometimes the weatherman tells us it's going to rain, it's going to be 100%, and the clouds don't even appear. But if we knew for a certain that there was going to be a tornado that was going to destroy our home, don't you know we'd be at somebody else's house? Don't you know we'd be taking a vacation and getting out of the way? This is why we need to be ready because one day we'll stand before God. Let me give you a third one, and it's similar, but it's very different. A third reason why we need to be ready, why the second coming is so important, is that one day all Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, salvation is not the issue here, but it's the works that we did. Now, this is not the great white throne judgment. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all stand before Christ, he's speaking to believers, to be, to be judged. Now, when I, think, when I hear that just initially, I think of a heaven and hell thing, but it's not. It's a different word. This is what's called the bema seat judgment of Christ. And this comes from a word that was in the Greek culture in the Olympics, and imagine the Greek Olympics and you're running a race. Well, you would have a, a judge's stand that would be elevated by the finish line. It would be one or multiple people there. I mean, no, they didn't have time-lapse cameras to tell who won the race. They had a person sitting up there who would judge or who would evaluate the runners. And the one that won the race would come to the platform and receive a prize. So this is what this judgment is about. God wants to reward you and I for the good things that we've done in this life. Listen, we will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. Now, the translation of evil confuses me a little bit because I thought my sins, thy evil were forgiven. But a better translation of that Greek word is that we'll receive what we've done for the good or the worthless. Rather than evil, worthless or um, uh, wasted. Do you know you can waste your life as a Christian? The, the, the mantra in our world today is having fun. And everything in life is having fun, doing what I want to do. It's all about me. Is that fair enough to say? I mean, is hedonism, modern idolatry brought us to that point where the worship of self makes it all about us? And if we're not careful, listen, and I'm not saying having fun is sinful or wrong. You know, uh, if turkey hunting is a sin, I'm in trouble. 
But I love to turkey hunt. I have a home. I keep it painted. I, you know, I have a garden. I love a wife. I love to see my grandkids. These are all a part of life, and they're all part of good things. You see, it, 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 people tend to be on one side or the other. Either God is good and wants us to have a good, happy life, or God's this evil, you know, doesn't want me to have any fun, and, you know, just, just, just serve God. <laughs> but we forget that Jesus came that we might have life and enjoy it to the fullest. John 10, 10, abundant life. But the problem is, is when all we want to do is enjoy an abundant life and we waste time and money. We don't invest time serving the Lord. These guys that went on this water well, they have earned a reward in heaven because of what they did. You that gave money towards that have a reward in heaven. You that gave money towards the grace house. You that volunteer in the grace house. This is what he's talking about. God is going to reward us for the good things that we do. We just, and we're going to uh, give, announce this some more in a, in a couple weeks here, but uh, those that give to our Bible fund. There's a little drop down on the app, or you can give to Bibles in the back. We just sent $5,000 to an organization that's bringing 700 Bibles to the underground church in Nepal. Now, think about that. When you give money for Bibles, and there will be Christians that don't have a Bible, or a family that shares one Bible, or a church that shares one Bible, and they have to smuggle them in one or two Bibles at a time. So we're all participating in this, and this is what's going to be rewarded. So be careful that we don't live our lives in such a way that it's all about fun and enjoyment and pleasure, and we neglect those things which will be rewarded in heaven. Tell your neighbor he's preaching pretty good this morning. See, some of you didn't think that. But Romans 14, 12 says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear, see, when he looks at me for the first time, I want Jesus to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You know what? I bet you do too. Revelation, uh, Revelation 22, Jesus said this, I am coming soon. This is the last chapter of the Bible. I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I'll give it to each person according to what they have done. I don't know about you, but I want to do more right things than wrong things. I want to serve the Lord more than I serve myself. Come on now. Yeah. You say, well, what does that look like, Pastor? Let me tell you. Why don't you do this? Why don't you try to get out of bed? I mean, I don't want to get out of bed a lot of days any more than you do. I didn't want to get out of bed this morning, but my wife said I had to. I'm the preacher. <laughs> but when I get out of the bed, I'm doing something like this and say, good morning, Lord. And the first thing I do is I get out of the bed. You can ask my wife and I get on one knee and I say, Lord, I want to give you my day today. I want your will to be done in my life. And you know what? I might get up after that. I may be cutting the grass if it's a day off, if I'm working, if I'm doing something at church, if I go to the grocery store and meet a stranger, if I hand out invitations. I went to Sam's the other day and handed out five invitations to church. I mean, it's like I want my life to be lived in such a way. Every time there's a missionary or guest pastor, I always give money towards that. And again, I'm not, this is not a money ask. We have plenty money. God is blessing us. This is simply saying, though, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want to put some of my greenbacks, come on now, in the eternal kingdom of God. Well, let me wrap it up this way. What will life be like when Jesus comes again? 
Now, I'm not talking about the immediate coming because there's questions among theologians way smarter than me. Some don't believe that the rapture of Thessalonians is the coming of Christ because we'll meet Jesus in the air. <laughs> His foot doesn't touch the ground. Others base Jesus coming on Zechariah 14 that says Jesus will come to Mount Zion and the mountains will split apart. And they even tie it again to him being the reason for the victory of the battle of Armageddon. So I don't know exactly how it all sequentially falls out. I just know though one day Jesus is coming back. He's going to get rid of the junk. Come on now. And we're going to live with him forever. Now, this is my last point. What will life be like when he comes? Now, I'm reading from two of the three last chapters of the Bible. And I've summarized it. And I want to put it on the screen because I want you to just pause with this. What will life like be like when Jesus comes again? There will be a new order in life. There will be a recreated heaven and earth. Satan and evil will be gone. And Christians will live with God in a perfect world. Now, let me read that to you from the Bible itself. Revelation chapter 20. Let's get rid of the devil first. And isn't it amazing? The devil who worked from uh, Genesis and Adam and Eve all the way to the end of time as we know it in one verse he's gone Revelation 20 verse 10 the devil who deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur tormented day and night forever and ever everybody say good riddance good riddance so he's gone now let's look at Revelation 21 it is Revelation is 22 chapters but look at 21 John saw this vision of a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I don't understand why there's, uh, uh, well, you understand in the Bible, heaven is in three, three levels. There's the sky that we can see. There's the universes that are beyond the sky, second heaven. And the third heaven where Paul went to, the third heaven is where God lives at this moment. I don't know why God's going to recreate heaven unless it's just all the space debris in the atmosphere, but all that junk is going to be gone. The earth will be recreated. There will be no more pollution on earth. Come on now. There'll be no more potholes on the road that you're, <laughs> that you're living on. There'll be no more mosquitoes. There'll be no more copperhead snakes. There'll be no more IRS agents. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm a target. Mr. Biden, would you please... Anyway, all the evil will be gone. New heaven and new earth. For the old heaven and old earth disappear. I heard verse 3, a loud shout. Look, God's home is among his people. See, this is not just about your mansion in glory. It's about living with God. This is the essence of the Christian faith, relationship with God. The old earth disappears. I hear a shout. God's home is among his people he will live with them and they will be his people. He will look at you and one day Jesus will look for the first time and say, Shirley Canis Tracy, welcome to heaven. I am proud of you. There'll be no more walkers. There'll be no more struggles, no more arthritis, no more pain. The former things will have been passed away. And there will be celebration for every prayer that was prayed, every sacrifice that was made. This is what heaven will be like. God will be with us. He'll live with us. Now listen to verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Anybody cry when somebody that you love dies? 
even a pet that dies that you love. Maybe you bore the horror of a rape. Maybe you spent time in jail. All these things that bring tears to life. Jesus said, they're gone. No more. Nobody will die again. No more sorrow and sadness. No more tornadoes. No more crying. No more pain. All these things are gone forever. The one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And now the tone of Revelation is different from the epistles primarily. Typically, the evangelical reads the epistles and we come up with words like that are there now. Grace and mercy and forgiveness. Uh, Jesus talked about the prodigal son. Every bit of that is true. But the, the tone of the book of Revelation is to be an overcomer. The book of Revelation is a book of war between good and bad, between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. So there's a call among the early churches, there are seven churches of Revelation, to be victorious, to overcome evil, to overcome sin, to overcome those things that are hindering us in our pursuit of God. But here he says this, uh, the victorious will inherit all these blessings. I'm going to be their God and they'll be my children. Now that should be reason for us to want to live the Christian life every day. It's the victorious overcomer. Look at verse 8. And I, I got to be honest, I don't understand this. Cowards. And then he says unbelievers. I don't know why he just said, didn't just say unbelievers. But listen to all these words. Cowards, unbelievers, corrupt, murderers, immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, all liars. Their fate will be the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, again, we're not saved by our works. If we have done, told, everybody's told a lie but for some reason, I think this is in the Bible, to nudge us towards the righteous life, to nudge us towards the life of holiness, to nudge us towards the life of serving the Lord. Are you with me today? Um, verse 27, nothing evil will be allowed to enter, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, I'll talk about that book in just a moment. But listen, friends, heaven and hell are real. Where we go is up to us. Following, serving Jesus, even if it has some sacrifice and suffering in it, it will be worth it. One day you will say, I'm glad I did. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He is worthy of praise. Now, let's wrap up today. Uh, how should I prepare for the second coming of Christ? If it's a reality that's coming, how should I prepare? Well, the first and most important thing is make sure your name's written in the book of life. Now, this phrase, book of life, is a metaphor that simply tells us that God records those that are his followers. Let me tell you something happened in my life. I was raised in a Methodist church. I was a pretty good guy. Uh, I knew about God. I even knew John 3:16. But the cross representing Christ, I was not living for Jesus. Saddest memories of my life were 17, 18, and 19. I wish I could redo. I was living for myself. But something happened. One day there began to be a tug at my heart. And I didn't even know it, but it was the Holy Spirit. And he was causing me to turn to God. He was causing me to realize that the way I was living was an empty life that something was missing. I had a new car. I was on an athletic scholarship. I had several girlfriends and always had something to drink in the back cooler and it wasn't Coca-Cola. Are you with me today? But something was missing. And then a Gideon told me about Jesus Christ and something in my heart was drawn to it. 
And when I read the words of Christ that he wanted me to believe and follow him, that I had to turn from my sin, repent, and turn to follow God as I've believed in Christ. That's when your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. For me, it was August 15, 1976. And I will give you an opportunity at the end of the service. We would love to pray for you today. So today could be the defining spiritual moment of your life, the day you committed your life to Christ. In just a moment, I'll get, I'll, well, I'll get there in a minute. But let me leave this with Christians about being ready. And let me quickly tell this parable. It's Luke chapter 12. Uh, Jesus, a parable is a picture of everyday events with a spiritual meaning. And Jesus talks about a master who goes to a wedding and his servants are at home, need to be waiting. Well, Jesus is the master. We're the servants. Now, imagine if the master said, I'm going to a wedding in Hot Springs. I'll be back in a couple months. Like Jesus has gone to heaven, I'll be back one day. Well, uh, we don't have a GPS thing, so we know exactly when he's coming back so he can be ready. He says you need to be ready all the time. So after about two months, listen to what he says. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. In other words, if, if Jesus, the master, were to come back in the middle of the night, don't be wearing your pajamas. He's going to get out of his horse-drawn carriage or whatever he's riding or off his donkey, and it's going to be dark outside. He wants you to open the door and have a lamp for him. In other words, that attune to the coming of the Lord. Uh, uh, be dressed, ready for service, as though you were waiting for your master to return. And then you'll be ready to open the door the moment he arrives. He may come in the middle of the night, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. So you need to be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. This is why we need revival. This is why when we are at a low spot in our Christian life, when our hearts are cold, when we've drawn away from God, when sin has got a grip on us, we're not ready, friends, because like I said, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be watching an X-rated movie when Jesus comes back. I don't want to be sleeping with somebody else's wife when Jesus comes back. Come on. I want to be someone that's living the Christian life 24-7. And that is a simple answer for how you can be ready. Live for Jesus every day. That doesn't mean you go to church every day. You have your job. You have your vacation. You go to your kids' ball games. But in all of it, you are living the life as a Christian. You're a servant in the hands of the Lord. And one day he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today.